You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time. To up the floor. Reads a drop down. Kobe! We are back, baby. Ben, after a few weeks of us not talking about b-ball, I have an urge. I have an itch. I have to talk about basketball, Ben. Oh, so am I. I am presently standing in my uh, kitchen in my underwear because my clothes are completely uh, drenched with nothing better in the world than to talk about basketball. Kevin, what's up? How have you been? That's the question. The last rounds of the playoff and the games now last week and a half have been crazy. It's an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference way more intricate than we expected a week and a half ago. Uh, where to start with the playoff, Ben? Just, just, just start because Durant, <laughs> Westbrook, the Toronto, Laurie, the destruction in Cleveland. Uh, just, just go. <laughs> well, the series uh, I think that really is catching my attention is uh, Oklahoma City against the Warriors. Uh, they are leading the series currently 3-2, and they are looking like a favorite to go in the finals, which was completely unexpected. Um, what I think happened here is that they were not supposed to beat Golden State, uh, to beat, pardon me, San Antonio in round two. But after the first game in San Antonio, which they lost by something crazy like 30 points, uh, I think Billy Donovan, the coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder, really uh, establishes credibility. I think that every player was at a loss for answers. Then they turned to his coach, and now they're running uh, Billy Donovan's offense. Uh, it is relentless. It is athletic. It is a complete bloodbath in the West, and Oklahoma City is is coming on top. If Oklahoma, yeah, you know, exactly, man. If Oklahoma would have played that way the whole season, it would have been a different standings in the Western Conference. The way they're playing is like maybe the only team that can beat the Warriors. The way they're playing that style of fast pace down the court, taking advantage of the skills of your guy and more. Taking advantage of the difference of skill set from your two stars compared to Draymond Green and Steph Curry, the only way to, to, to really be better than them is having two fast guys run beside them. They are super athletic. I think they're probably the most athletic team in the NBA, so they can run for days. They can run you off the floor, whoever you are, and they're physical. I think it's not. It's really understated how physical they've been in the playoffs. And I'm bringing your attention here on uh, their starting center, Stephen Adams, who has been one of the key cogs of this incredible run. He commits more or less 50 fouls a game, <laughs> but he is a very hard player to referee. He is big and strong, and he's not a very uh, graceful guy. So the refs never know when to, when to whistle him. Um, he got whistled two times in the first quarter, 
So he got pulled off the game uh, last uh, last night. So I think it helped the um, the Warriors to earn that victory here. But he's been throwing Draymond Green completely off his game. Draymond has looked terrible in the series. Has shot I think one on on his out of sixteen for uh, or two out of sixteen in games three and four. Um, Steven Adams is not the best uh, offensive option, but he has been a key cog in the in uh, uh, OKC's run. That's that's for sure. Now, what's surprising you with Golden State Warriors? Uh, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, so yes. since Curry got injured, he came back, and now he, people were wondering how many percent is he? Is he at seventy? Is he at two? Is he at zero? Is he at seventy-one, ninety-five? Is it important or? Can just Golden State just take whatever you can bring and just use it going forward like they did last game? Well, here's the thing. Um, he might very well be at 100%. But when you get injured, it plays with your mind, right? And right now, Steph Curry is not playing with confidence. He's getting points because he's a freaking MVP. He got 31 points last night, but he's not playing with confidence. He's rushing his passes. He's taking shots early in the shot clock. Uh, and that has been another key to... Uh, to the uh, downfall of uh, Golden State so far. Nothing is over, but uh, they clearly have a steep road ahead. Um, that and Draymond Green's complete collapse at the hands of yeah. uh, Steven Adams, which is probably my next favorite basketball villain. <laughs> he's, uh, I think these are the two factors uh, that are contributing to uh, Golden State being in that position right now. What I think they should do I think they should rewire uh, the entire offense around Klay Thompson, who is 100% healthy. Uh, oh, they wow. should give Klay Thompson all the shots they give to Steph, and they should transform Steph in a... a Steve Nash type of role, like distribute and pass and do what you can. And a normal point guard, exactly. And uh, because uh, Draymond Green cannot be a ball handler either around uh, uh, Stephen Adams. He might, he might like get is skull crushed or something. And according to Westbrook and Kevin Durant, especially Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, it's not that difficult to guard Steph Curry now anyway. So they like their matchup. So if you change it up a little bit, it might play in the hands of Warriors and not uh, the OKC. Uh, I think they're doing a very good job at guarding him, especially Westbrook and his backcourt mate, Andre Roberson, who has been another uh, quiet key cog in uh, the series thanks to Coach Billy Donovan's use of him, um, he, uh, uh, they're doing a great job. They're not losing Steph off the switches, which is something every team did during the season. Steph was always able, uh, was always able to create space when the defense uh, was switching, uh, and I think it was key to uh, their success. But Russell Westbrook doesn't allow him to do that, and I think this is extremely important. But you should take it with a grain of salt because Russell Westbrook is an Intense guy is like he's really intense, and that's what makes uh, playoff basketball so great. Really, I just think he says that in the media just to take Steph Curry's soul away from him. Steph Curry is doing a great job. Like he got he 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 got back from an injury like a week ago. Yeah. He's got 30 points. He's played good defense. No matter what Russell is saying, I think Russell just wants to crush him and to to to, to end his career. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the kind of player Russell Westbrook is, and that's why we all love him. Now, if we move to the Eastern Conference for a second, yes, uh, the Raptors against Cleveland. Uh, yes, after sir. the first two games, we everybody, when I say we, it's not me and you, it's the entire mm. world of 
people watching basketball gave mm-hmm. no chance at all to the Raptors to actually win the game. Never yes. mind coming back in this series. Then yes. the, the two games at home happens where Toronto won both. <laughs> what was the secret for the Toronto Raptors to win those two games? And what's the difference between the Raptors at home and the Raptors away? Um, there's a African guy that was drafted in 2011 by the Charlotte Bobcats, um, who, whose name is Bismarck Biombo. Uh, back then, he was an 18-year-old kid straight out of Africa who did not know how to play basketball. But in GM Rod Higgins' mind, he was the future. He was a LeBron stopper. He was, a, he was the greatest defensive player. Uh, he was the reincarnation of Bill Russell. <laughs> but that never happened. Like, Bismarck Biombo did not know how to play basketball, and the Charlotte Bobcats never taught him. But uh, what happened? Um, Bismarck Biombo, the great Le- LeBron stopper, happened to materialize uh, uh, during the two games at home uh, of the, of the uh, uh, Toronto Raptors and completely threw uh, the Cavaliers off their rhythm. He protected the rim magnificently well. Uh, he's got some of the most beautiful blocks of the season, some on LeBron James, and suddenly the shooters were not, shoot- were not hitting their shots for Cleveland. There's the deadly uh, combo of Kevin Love and Channing Fries were not hitting their shots anymore because their rhythm was disturbed because LeBron James could not, did not have the option to go to the rim anymore. And that was really interesting, but... Um, in game five, yeah, no, um, I, I was gonna say game five. Uh, what happened between game four and game five? Like, because um, the worst beating in NBA playoffs history, man. Yes, by thirty nine point or something. Uh, and uh, well, Dwayne Casey got a little scared around uh, Biombo with uh, being in for foul trouble because he was in Cleveland and he pulled him very early. He made him play. Uh, 20 minutes only, and reinserted uh, Jonas Valenciunas in the lineup, who was a very good element to the Raptors' uh, first two rounds, but is not efficient against LeBron James and their thunderous offense. So LeBron and his buddies had a field day against the against Valenciunas, and Biombo ended up playing, I think, 20 or 21 minutes. I think that was part of the answer. Um, I really, really wondering what's going to happen tonight, and uh, if Cleveland gets through and the um, and the um, the Cavaliers are will face the Oklahoma City Thunder in the finals, we're getting our first. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. Finals we had in a long, long, long time. I think. Probably since the Celtics uh, faced the Lakers in 2008. But there's still a possibility that it could be the Raptors and it could be um, uh, Golden State Warriors coming from behind. They're both 3-2 in the series right now. Tonight is Game 6 in the Raptors for Toronto, in Toronto, I mean, against Cleveland. Now, the Raptors are undefeated at home in Eastern Conference. Yes. Ever, because it's their first ever. So, they're undefeated. What do they need to do tonight? Do they need to focus on Bismack more than Valentinius? Do they need to try to rekindle that DeMar DeRozan, not let Damari Carroll go to the free throw line? Uh, what do they have to do tonight to not be eliminated, to not go home, in the words of Steph Curry? Uh, 
they need not to uh, get overexcited with what works and what doesn't work on LeBron James. Uh, they need to have whoever uh, whoever can guard him correctly on him for as much time as they can. Because if if the worst you can do on LeBron James is switch okay defenders on him, he's just going to get into his rhythm and he's going to destroy you. Get Biombo to patrol the paint. Uh, uh, get Kyle Lowry fired up. Uh, have him have him uh, play the game of his life. I think it's a very very steep hill that the um, <laughs> that the Raptors have to climb, but it's not impossible. No. I thought it was impossible. They'd win a game, and they proved me wrong. So I would love a game seven in the East. I would love. Add the hell out of it, and I would love it even more if it was competitive. So I'm rooting for the Raptors for the first time in my life tonight. <laughs> and the Raptors want to push it to Game 7, even though yes. for them it's going to be difficult to go back to Cleveland and get a result in the Quicken Loans Arena where nothing has gone right for them. The three games they played there, we talked about the, destru- the destruction Game 5, but Game 1 and 2 were not really prettier anyways. It was big defeats by big margins even though the Raptors did the same thing in the Game 3. So yes. it depends what type of teams we see tonight of the Raptors. Now, is there a chance? Can the Raptors go on a Game 7 and actually have a shot of winning this series? I think there's about a 5 to 10% chance. Uh, they would need a bit of a collapse from LeBron, but LeBron has collapsed before. And it would all be dependent from Game 6 if... Uh, the Raptors win Game Six big. Uh, LeBron is going to be very nervous for Game Seven because it's going to be an all-or-nothing game, and then they'll be able to uh, play a game against a very nervous team who's going to try to rush things. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen, but it's in the cards. Like it's very low probability, but it's in the cards definitely. And tomorrow night is Game Six in the Western Conference between Golden State. And uh, between Oklahoma City, it is yes, in Oklahoma sir. City game six. Are the Warriors in trouble? Can the Warriors pull this series back and go home for game seven? Oh, they totally can. I'd say um, the chances are 75-25. They were 90-10 last game and the, the Warriors pulled it. They're 75-25 now. They totally can win. Uh, they've won 24 games in a row this year. So they they can pull two in a row for sure. Um, they have the talent to do it. They have the troop to do it. They have the leaders to do it. Um, I still think there's a pretty good chance that OKC passes and makes their way to the finals and that Kevin Durant gets into Super Saiyan mode and just like annihilates Cleveland. Yeah. And I'm meaning the city and not the team. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, well, Stipe is representing Cleveland now, so I kind of be worried about Stipe Miocic because it's his home. So I'll be careful what I do with Cleveland, but yes. But, uh, you know, Stipe Miocic is a champion, but Kevin Durant is playing like a god right now. Well, he has touche, def- touche, man, touche. He has defended uh, the Warriors. Like, he, as good as he is offensively, he was even better defensively in that series. He has defended... Draymond Green, he has driven Draymond Green insane to the point that the he's, series. he's looking for a job in the NFL as a kicker as we speak for next year. <laughs> oh, you mean Draymond? Yeah, yeah, but he kicking has been, machine, Draymond, aka the kicking machine. He has been 
physically abused by OKC. A lot yes. of this has to do with like Draymond thrashing around because he's been he's been abused by two guys who are like six inches <laughs> lo longer than him and like 30 pounds bigger. Uh, it's the retaliation that always gets caught, right? We always talk about the guy who slaps back, then the guy who gets slapped first. Exactly. And it's a sneaky good, it's a sneaky good uh, observation. Oh, come on. That shot where he does a fadeaway jumper and at the same time he nails the guy in the crotch. Oh, come on. <laughs> that, that was Stephen Adams, by the way, which I was talking about earlier. Uh, and Adams had the best reaction. Like he just threw his hands in the air like, whoo! <laughs> uh, but it's a sneaky it's a sneaky good storyline because Draymond Green is one technical foul away for his suspension uh, let's say uh, they um, oh, they um, win in game six they go and Draymond Green uh, uh, has a technical foul they go home for game seven without Draymond that's a sneaky good storyline Right wow. there, like, what's so, going to happen if they play Game 7 without without Draymond? I have no idea. So not only does the Warrior need to win tomorrow, they need to yes. win, they need to make sure that Draymond Green does not get a technical foul tomorrow night. Yes, I, I trust him not to do it. I've seen him play several several quarters with five fouls and really, really uh, pay attention not to... Uh, not too foul anymore, so I think he's able to do it, but it's going to be hard. Like emotions are running high, and Draymond is a very emotional guy. It's going to be it's going to be very interesting um, uh, to see how he's handling himself uh, tomorrow night. Before we move, continue and talk about the coaching carousel for our uh, superstitious fans of the Raptors out there, just so you know, and you are confident heading into tonight. Kyle Lowry did do the fist bump to the security guard when he walked into the place. It usually <laughs> means a victory for the Raptors. I hope. I hope. I hope for them. Like I hope. I. I'm not a fan of any Toronto team, but I am even less of a fan of every Cleveland team. <laughs> so I can live in a world where Russell Westbrook has a championship ring, but I cannot live in a world where. Uh, the Cavaliers win the NBA championship. Sorry, Cleveland. <laughs> the coaching carousel, Ben. It's getting yes. to the thick of things. It's big name, big clubs. Jeff Ornacek to New York. Woo! We have a competent coach. Well, My yes, a competent and, well, coach that knows the game, having played, what, 20 years? Oh, uh, about Actually, that. more than uh, that, but, I think so. But um, the thing is, I when we when he got hired, I was so happy, Kevin. I was jumping in my living room. My 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 uh, my well, girlfriend thought you're... I had meningitis. <laughs> you uh, literally texted me and Jeff, Coach Jeff Shelby, who was on yeah, the show yeah. before, saying, "Guys, guys, Ornacek was signed. Listen to me. I need to talk to somebody about it." Yeah, I was like, uh, my emotions were overflowing. Look, since 2000, we've had three competent coaches. We've had Jeff Van Gundy who left in 2001, who I think he is still one of the best coaches in the NBA right now, although he has been out for several uh, years now. Uh, we had Lenny Wilkins in uh, 2004, but it doesn't count because he was senile. He, he, he was sitting in a wheelchair right next to the court. Uh, Larry Brown was senile too, so he doesn't count. Uh, we had Mike D'Antoni. A couple of years ago, Mike D'Antoni, who just found some new work in the Houston. Yeah. Um, but Mike D'Antoni clashed with uh, Carmelo Anthony really bad. And so Mike D'Antoni was sent out of New York unceremoniously. I think he, he, I think he quit, actually. And uh, we got Jeff Hornacek now, who, who guided 
a understaffed uh, Suns team to a 48 wins season with a super supercharged, super fun to watch offense in 2013. That guy knows offense. That guy uh, is uh, a voice that players will listen to. I am extremely excited to have him in New York. That is not an understatement. Like I am jumping up and down right now. A choice that's very less exciting in Memphis, David Fitzdale, Memphis. Is it a coach to restart the old and grizzled Memphis Grizzly? Uh, that's a good question. That's a question I keep asking myself because he's going to have a hard time uh, gaining the confidence of his locker room. He has a locker room full of grizzled veterans uh, who uh, who believe in a certain way to play the game, which is not the way the Miami Heat were, are playing, which if you are... Uh, if you're familiar with David Fisdale, he has been assistant, associate coach, pardon me, of the Miami Heat and uh, director of player person uh, of the player development for eight years now. But um, the Grizzlies will have to press the reset button soon. All their guys are old, and uh, Mike Conley might leave. And I think uh, the key here is to have Fitzdale to uh, manage a rebuild. And I think he's more than capable to do that. And I think he's a more, I think he's a very, uh, is, I don't know if he's going to be a good head coach, but he deserves a chance. He's one of the most competent assistants in the, in the NBA. I think he deserves a chance. Now we have, after many consideration and many different interviews, Frank Vogel has landed in Orlando. Yes. Um, what a crazy story. Uh, the Pacers fired Frank Vogel. They, they quote-unquote, did not renew his contract because uh, Larry, uh, Larry uh, Bird said new voices need to be heard. And what he, next, the next thing you know, they signed his assistant coach to take over. I was like, what? And apparently it was a very, uh, very sad and a pathetic moment because apparently Frank Vogel begged for his job to Larry Bird and Larry just kicked him to the curb. So uh, that was a hard uh, that was a hard decision to take, probably. Uh, but Frank Vogel is a good coach who landed in a good team, in a good, talent-filled, uh, inspiring young team that needs direction. And I think Frank Vogel is the man to give them. He is. I, I'm very happy with all these coach nominations because com- incompetent coach has been have been cleared. And competent coaches uh, are coming in. So there's a big hooray for competence. Uh, the Magic had a really, really weird situation this offseason because their coach, Scott Skiles, quit. Uh, when he was hired last year, everybody like was like, okay, that's the wrong coach for this team. Like He, he does not have the mindset to deal with young people because the, I think the... The Magic are 24.9 year old or something like that. They're one of the most, one of the youngest team in the NBA. And Scott Scott realized this and quit. Apparently, he was an ownership choice. Apparently, he was uh, he was harassing the ownership for the job, and then he quit one year in. And enter Frank Vogel. Uh, it was a really weird uh, situation, but they've gotten a better coach out of it. I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to like where the Magic are right now. Speaking of better coach, Mike yes. D'Antoni, will he fix the situation in Houston? Can he get along with James Harden? And will it create the personality clash between the two? Uh, that's a great question um, because apparently that was a uh, that was a ownership hire. Um, 
from the Rockets that uh, GM Daryl Morey wanted a guy named Steven Silas, uh, who has become who? The, since then a who? guy named Steven Silas, who has become since then the most sought-after assistant in the NBA. Uh, after uh, the news came in that Silas really, really nailed his interview with the Rockets, the Warriors called, uh, Portland called, uh, other some other teams called, and Steven Silas is becoming a really, really soft commodity in the NBA. Um, but Mike D'Antoni has a very James Harden-friendly offense. Uh, he Harden is going to... Uh, Call the shots, he's going to handle the ball. So I think in that sense, he's going to keep him happy. Um, if you don't, the guys don't know Mike, Mike D'Antoni, he more or less fathered the modern NBA. The way we play now, uh, the game with the small ball and the early shot clock offense, it's Mike D'Antoni first did it, not Greg Popovich. It was Mike D'Antoni's ideas. And he's got a bit of a bad rap over the first couple of years, because the, the, the last couple of years, because he had a very uh, unsuccessful run in New York and Los Angeles where he clashed with his stars. But he's a good coach. And I don't know how it's going to turn out when uh, the, when the uh, Rockets are going to go through a tough period. Because like you said, there's going to be a personality clash maybe, I guess. But uh, I think they're going to be very exciting next season. That's for sure. And to be fair with Mike D'Antoni, anybody would probably have a personality class with James Harden. At this, at this time. Um, that's what I was talking about it with Coach Shelby, and that's what he told me. He was like, I think James Harden is probably, from now on, will be a major headache for anybody. And that makes sense. But, you know, there's a new breed of coach that came in. There are guys like Frank Vogel, like Dave Yeager, like Jeff Hornacek who don't try to assume leaderships over these kind of guys, like who try to work with these guys, who, who, uh, who talk to them as equals. And I think Dave Yerger or um, Frank Vogel would have been ideal. But hey, I say Mike D'Antoni has a good enough resume. Try him. Try him. Yeah. Now, Ben, it's time for Ben's NBA Combined Chronicles. Yes, sir. We in our... Two weeks blackout. We have missed uh, one of my favorite events of the year, the NBA uh, um, combine, oh which has which I was different this year uh, uh, because every kid in uh, in the college basketball that wanted to stay eligible through the combine period could do it. Usually, if you, uh, the early withdrawal uh, date was at the end of April. But now the the, the, uh, the early withdrawal uh, date was at the end of May. So a lot more uh, players could try their luck at the combine. And it allows the kids to make a much more informed uh, decision. Uh, they, they, have, they can see what they're worth against uh, competitions that, that are going to be drafted with them. So uh, I think the NCAA has to really be applauded for this. I don't like the NCAA at all, but it was a good rule. And uh, we've had a lot of surprise uh, uh, draft declarations, and we had a lot of surprise draft withdrawals. Uh, yeah, let's go through a couple of names quickly. Yeah. Melo Tremblay, we have Antonio Blackney, Isaiah yes. Briscoe, Dylan Brooks, Nigel yes. R, Nigel A's, 
Malik Newman, Marcus Lee, and Caleb Swanigan in big names that uh, actually withdrawn himself from the draft that we expected them maybe to uh, go be eligible for the draft. Yes, um, the two names that really uh, jumped to me are um, are, are um, Marcus uh, Lee. There's Marcus Lee, and then there's um, Melo Trimble. I Melo Melo. This was interesting with Melo Trimble. See, he was he's ready for the NBA, I believe, but he performed terribly in the combine. He completely killed his stack. I think he turned the ball over uh, seven times during his first game, which which is a big no no. Um, and he just decided to return to school. What a great, what a great thing for him! Like uh, Maryland's going to be very happy to have him back, and um, and uh, the NBA can't wait another year for uh, Melo Trimble. That's for sure. Yeah, the he's going to continue his yeah. education and continue his his work outside of basketball. I mean, he's going to help mm. him on the court. Who knows? But no, it's I agree with you. The fact that the rule is important and it's a good rule by the NCAA, and it's rare we mm-hmm. say that because, like you mentioned, it gave them a more. Uh, 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 informed choice. If they know they're not going to be able to cut it in the combine, why not go back to school and work on your game for a year more? And next time you get draft picked, maybe it's going to be in the round, first round instead of the round number eight, and your first paycheck is going to be way, way higher if you wait a year later. Exactly. And the two other names that stood out to me are Isaiah Briscoe and Marcus Lee from Kentucky. Because after the tournament, Kentucky's head honcho John Calipari said, Everybody's declaring because he has a huge uh, he has a huge prospect class coming in. So he wants everybody out. He wants everybody in the NBA. But there are some kids in this draft class. He has treated a bit unfairly. Isaiah Briscoe, for example, did not play all year because he was playing behind Tyler Ulis, who is going to be drafted maybe in the 15 to 25 range in this draft. And Briscoe didn't have a chance to play in Kentucky, and he's not going to have a chance to play next year either because there are two superstar freshmen coming in. So I'm expecting Isaiah Briscoe to transfer, and it's going to be the second transfer from Kentucky this year, and the only and one of the the only the seventh transfer in Kentucky's history since John Calipari came in. Here's a question: Did he lose a year, like in football? Because in football, uh, when you transfer, you lose a year of play. Of uh, playing, you have to think, wait a year. I think it's a year or it's a semester. One of the two. Uh, wow! I so think it's, a, it's a big decision when you change, decide to change school that late in your NCAA career. Oh, absolutely! Uh, it's a huge decision, but Briscoe would probably not have been drafted, and uh, because he did not have the chance to play much college ball, and uh, it would it would have been a huge decision. Marcus Lee who has to transfer like he's a scene he's coming back as a senior he has to transfer if he wants to see any playing time means he's going to stay two more years in uh in uh, uh yeah, college basketball yeah. exactly because uh one year the the transition and he's not playing and the year is going to play and then he's going to move to the draft exactly he is a he's going to be 24 then i think it's the right decision he, i love that guy he's a very big energy player but he's not a very skilled guy doesn't have a very good sense for the game. He's going to be allowed to see a different coach, to have more attention. I think it was the great decision for him. So I, the the combine was really life-affirming this year. What can I say? Exactly. Ben, let's finish with the tradition, the yes, prospect sir. of the week, DeAndre Bembry this week. That is another life-affirming story. Uh, I did not know who DeAndre Bembry was until we did our, our um, 
NCAA tournament uh, bracket with uh, Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, who told me uh, that St. Joseph players were really exciting and the guy to watch was DeAndre Pembry. Since then, he has declared for the draft. He has become a very intriguing prospect. He has moved into the first round. And after a very strong showing at the uh, combine, he he is getting speculation of being drafted into the lottery. I have yet to remember a guy who has such a skyrocketing ascension in the pre uh, in the pre-draft process. Uh, Bembry is a really fast player. I don't know many player of his size that can run the fat, uh, that can run the floor so fast. He's six six, but he runs the he runs the floor like a guy who's like five two. He he is exciting. He finishes above the rim. He has a lot of defensive potential. Uh, there's some question about his shooting, but he, once again, he did a very strong showing at uh, the combine, uh, and a lot of players, a lot of pundits, are seeing what they saw in Jimmy Butler back in the days in the Andrew Bembry. So, I think his team is going to jump the gun on him. He's going to get drafted very early. Um, he is very marketable too. He has a huge afro, and he uh, loves to play the card of the bad boy. <laughs> and I think I think is uh, some some scouts have them from like twelve to twenty nine. Okay. I think he's gonna go twelve to sixteen. I think a team is definitely going to try their luck on him. If it's in the um, the lottery, my money is on Phoenix because he would be, they have two lottery choices this year. But if it's outside the lottery, watch for Boston or Denver. They he is a very exciting prospect. He could be a rotation guy as he could be an all star. The sky is the limit. For that guy, I'm really, really excited about the Andrew Bembry. Jonathan was right about him. Last thing before we wrap up this edition of our radio band. Now, there's two games left in the uh, the conference finals tonight and tomorrow mm-hmm. night. What's your prediction for the NBA finals? Who is it going to be this year? I think, for better or worse, that OKC is going to play Cleveland in the finals. And I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I'm going to root for OKC like my life depended on it. I am going to be the biggest um, Russell Westbrook fan for the next two weeks. But I I think these two teams are going to face up to the finals. All right. So we have been back. I don't know when the next show as soon as possible. We'll be right back on Hard Radio. And until that time, Ben... Enjoy the playoff because for me, it has been an eye-opening experience this year in the playoffs <laughs> in the NBA. Yeah, likewise. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. <laughs>